This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus, episode 682. This week, we welcome Rick Sims and Pete Consigli. We're going to talk about the Florida hurricane response and recovery with a little HVAC industry perspective. And, of course, we'll mention talk a little bit about the Andios Building Science Symposium, a.k.a. Winter Break. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. They're the reason we can continue the show. And after the show, don't forget to visit afterthoughts.iaqradio.com to uh, continue the discussion sponsored by First On Site. Our marquee sponsor is First On Site at firstonsite.com. Our association sponsors are the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists, ACGIH.org, the American Industrial Hygiene Association, AIHA.org, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute, CIRIScience.org, the Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification, IICRC.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories. AEMLINC.com, Particles Plus, ParticlesPlus.com, TSI Inc., TSI.com, Sunbelt Rentals, SunbeltRentals.com, April Air, April AIRE.com, Healthy Indoors Magazine, HealthyIndoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. Hello, everyone. I'm happy to report that Don Weeks from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, was the first person to identify Minergy P as the voluntary standard used in Switzerland for reducing a a property's eco footprint. The IEQ radio trivia question for today, December 2nd, 2022, has been sponsored by TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IEQ investigations at TSI.com. Here's today's IAQ radio trivia question, including shared numbers. How many international climate zone names are there? Back to you, Joe. Okay, so today we've got Rick Sims. He's a Florida mechanical contractor with over 40 years experience in dealing with climate zone one moisture levels. Rick serves on the Mechanical Technical Advisory Committee in the Florida Building Commission and teaches code-related topics all over Florida He's been teaching HVAC professionals since 1987. And Pete Consigli, the restoration industry global watchdog. He's an RIA certified restorer and water loss specialist and has been a member of the the association since 1977. He is the RIA's resident historian and archival resource to the industry. He is also a frequent contributor to the show and Westford Building Science Symposium, a.k.a. Summer Camp's Chief Emeritus, Chef Emeritus. Oh, I almost had it, Pete. But anyway, Rick, welcome to the show. Let's start with you. Um, you're new to our listeners. 
tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from originally, how you ended up in the south, I guess that'd be southwest Florida, down in the Naples area. Yeah, I'm in uh, Climate Zone 1, so uh, I can't answer the trivia question, but I can tell you we're the first one on the list. Uh, I started in HVAC in the uh, 1970s in Sarasota, and in 1981, I came down to uh, Naples, and I've I've been here ever since, uh, working mechanical contracting and teaching our workforce, and um, I don't know much about gas and oil furnaces. I just haven't picked up much of that in all this time. But uh, we, uh, we are the uh, uh, very significant dew point temperatures for most of the, of the calendar year. And so we know a little bit about that here. Would you give our listeners a little background on Johnson's AC? What type of customers you work with? What type of issues you deal with? Well, Naples is not an industrial town. The industry is golf and beaches and boating and fishing. So uh, we don't have really any industrial work. What we have is lots of condominiums. Uh, our company does lots of water source equipment. So that would be the, the cooling towers. We do have some geothermal uh, condominiums. Most of them are cooling towers. And uh, we have very large single family homes. Uh, one of the single family homes that'll be built this year, be finished this year, has 45 heat pumps in it, and um, it's an $80 million single-family home. So uh, not everybody in Naples has one of those, but <laughs> it does happen here. Wow, 45 heat pumps. That's a big one there. Two um, cooling towers. You know, until we talked earlier, I, I guess I didn't um, – I didn't – didn't realize, didn't, didn't kind of put two and two together that you would have cooling towers also in the type of work you're doing. You know, I always think of cooling towers as being at like a, I don't know, a community college or a bigger building, but I, I guess they're pretty, uh, pretty common where you're at. Do you have problems with Legionella? Uh, we just cannot have that. So that begins with the technicians. They're the most exposed. Uh, I have a practice, uh, of my own that I've had for years, I go on top of a lot of buildings that have nothing to do with the cooling tower. I don't know who's taking care of it, if anyone's taking care of it. Well, anyway, I never walk on the drift side of it. If I'm walking on the roof and I have the choice to walk upwind of a cooling tower and I don't know anything about it, I do. Now, I'm not afraid of cooling towers, but you know the ones I'm worried the least about are the ones that I maintain. Gotcha. All right, let's let's talk a little bit about the HVAC market at this point. Um, I assume you're busy. I imagine you probably can't keep up. It's tough to get equipment and people, but those are all my assumptions. Tell our listeners. We were uh, we were all stressed by supply chain issues before Hurricane Ian. Uh, Hurricane Ian submerged a half a million condensing units. So that just piled on top of the supply chain issues we already had. We already had waiting lists before the storm. So the demand uh, increased exponentially with the storm. So uh, yes, it's tough to get them. Uh, in many cases, you won't get the exact model you want unless you're willing to wait. And so what a lot of people are doing just to get their 
uh, equipment back in place and get things going is maybe buying a piece of equipment that otherwise, you know, if they had been able to get it, they would have bought something else. Hmm. So there's a lot of substitution going on. How, what's the typical wait time, if there is one? Uh, it's really different this time. It was very um, easy for years and very dependable that you knew estimated delivery times on things. Now, even basic products, uh, for example, products that use resin have been affected in the last two years. So you'd be amazed at the shortage of electrical components that we need to make the air conditioners work. So it's one thing if we get the air conditioner, but we need PVC fittings. We need circuit breakers. So um, it has been very bad. If you, uh, it's the first time in my life I've gone to wholesale houses and the shelves are empty at, at an electrical wholesale. They, everything's gone. So oh. I have not experienced that before, and I'm just hoping this is not the new normal. So, I do, too. I, I, I agree. It's the, the first time in my life my, uh, my nephew's a sheet metal worker. And um, he's been in the business for, you know, 25 years now, I guess. And last week was the first time I ever ha had him tell me that they were, they were taking a couple of days from a job because they just couldn't get the equipment they needed and um, they were kind of stuck. So it's, it looks like it's a nationwide issue. Yeah. And uh, the storm just uh, increased our demand is what happened there. Now this storm was different. The storm was, uh, we haven't had one like this since Donna in 1960. This was a, a very wet one, lots of flooding. It actually didn't pack the wind speeds that uh, Wilma and Irma showed Naples. It was uh, not the wind speeds that were notable about Ian. It was the flooding was widespread from uh, south of Sarasota all the way down to Everglades City. Well, let's bring... Uh the restoration industry global watchdog in because that's kind of where we're headed now. We want to talk a little bit about the recovery. And Pete, when I uh, put the questions and the title together, you specifically said you wanted to include both response and recovery. Please talk to our listeners about why. Well, I think there's a big difference between the two and they're probably um, sometimes are misunderstood. It, it, I'm going to do, use an analogy that's common to the restoration industry. Most of the lists are probably aware. Most of the time when a restoration company responds to a water loss or a fire loss, any kind of damage, there's an emergency component. And then there's a restoration. Sometimes there's three phases. Oftentimes it's emergency, which is to mitigate. Then the second phase may be some drying, could be some remedial mitigation if it was a fire loss and maybe mold remediation. And then it's put, put it back together, which could be reconstruction or oftentimes it's just cosmetic stuff, like maybe some painting, uh, replace some flooring, something like that. So if you look at that in the context of a hurricane, which is catastrophic and area-wide, in the restoration industry, when we talk about a large or major loss, they're usually categorized in two ways. A single site, which is a big building. Uh, there's been a number of these over the years, uh, major fires and things of that nature that have been in the news that the industry responded to. That's a single site loss. But then there's an area-wide disaster, which are the hurricanes, the tornadoes, the wildfires, things like that. There's a different dynamic. So from the hurricane standpoint, the recovery effort 
is almost runs parallel to watching the first responders come in, getting the power back up, uh, search and rescue, that kind of stuff. From a restorers, it's it's kind of mobilizing, um, figuring out, you know, uh, where the logistics, where are they going to uh, be able to put their uh, uh, vehicles? When can they get into the areas? And that can go on for several days, just like it takes a while for the power to come up. Down here from this hurricane, the thing that was the most prominent in the news was the Sanibel Island Bridge came down. And uh, and um, the crews got it up, uh, I think, maybe a week early. And so the traffic could go. They could start getting on the island. They were using barges before that. At the point when things kind of just died down a little bit, there's some sense of normalcy back, power's back in, and that's bad. Then you move into the recovery phase. And the recovery phase, like after Katrina, Superstorm Standing, and this hurricane, or Andrew, that uh, Rick mentioned, you know, when he mentioned all the hurricanes since he's been in Florida, that can go on for years. Now, one final thing I want to say, and that I'll turn it back to you. This year, in uh, the, the uh, I, I guess the I-75 corridor on the Gulf side of our state, which is obviously a big snowbird destination, it's projected there'll be one and a half million less visitors this year, simply because they'll have no place to stay. All right, the all of these coastal properties in multiple cities up and down from Tampa down to Naples, they, they got hit from the storm surge. And there's tons of condominiums there, which are rental properties in the Airbnb market. And what I've been hearing just around town is that not only is there a shortage of space, but some people who normally would come down and would come down with a group, if they can't find space, they may not come. The other thing is in Fort Myers particularly, which is the heartbeat of tons of the uh, RV parks where a lot of people come and bring their units, they got wiped out. It was off. So the, the, there's just no space. That's not going to bounce back at least till, till next to the next snowbird season, because it'll take that long. The supply shortages, even if there's not total destruction, but let's say there's some significant damage, they need flooring, paint, drywall, all that, the time level to, to not only get the materials, you try to find a good contractor to come and do that. The list is long and it's very problematic and it's a slow thing. And there's probably phases to recovery, but that would just be subjective. But there is a line of delineation, just like the emergency and restoration. You have the you have the response, then the recovery. Back to you, Joe. Pete, you also asked that we, in the title, put Florida hurricane, not just Ian. Can you... Elaborate yeah. for our listeners why? Okay. So the reason I said that was is we had we had the, the, the double dose this year. We, we had Ian, which was catastrophic being compared to Andrew, which changed the codes and, you know, it was major. Then, you know, just when we're getting back on our feet, old Nicole comes in. And that hits the, the east coast of Florida, okay, above West Palm. And it went all the way up to Daytona and Jacksonville. Now, here's why that is significant. When Ian landed in the Fort Myers area and, and torrential rains up to Sarasota, Tampa, that area, then it diagonally crossed the state. It did flooding throughout the center part of the state. The rivers overflowed in the Orlando area. And it pounded Daytona Beach, Jacksonville, that area. It slowed down. Then when it went out to sea, it became a hurricane one again. Then went to Georgia, the Carolinas, 
And, and four days later, it rained for three or four days, the tail end in the New York and the New England area. All right. That, so there was a lot of damage already on the other side of the state where there wasn't a direct hit. Now the cold comes in. They have storm surge in that side and they pound those same areas that were already drenched. So there's a lot of damage, which you don't hear about as much as you do from Ian, because Ian was so catastrophic and there were some deaths. I think there was one or two deaths maybe on the other side, too. But th there's a lot of like the local news, a lot of beach erosion there. And, and that surge was bad. And, and those are very high destination areas. I mean, that's where the Daytona 500 is. There's a lot of activities that go on in that part of the state. So that's why I thought it was important to talk about the hurricane season as a whole versus a single hurricane, because we got we got a one-two punch. And But we're Florida strong. And Greg says, we're, we're going to come back from it. We always do. People live here. They get it. Just like the Californians, hey, they have earthquakes. The Midwest, they have tornadoes. Up north, you have freezes and all kinds of things like that. Wherever you live, there's something you got to deal with, and, and that's by choice. All right. Hey, Rick, let's let's talk a little bit about the recovery and, and the HVAC side of things. What uh, what were you seeing as far as the issues with respect to recovery on the HVAC side? Uh, the insurance is easier to use. Uh, in previous storms that I've been involved with, the deductibles for condominiums were millions of dollars, hmm. and uh, it was wind damage. Uh, whereas I've learned from this one that the deductible for flood insurance is only a few thousand. So I wasn't aware of that until the storm, because whenever there's a hurricane, we know that a lot of people are going to want to know the valuation of their damages. So we're going to provide that service. We're going to go tell you what your damage stuff is worth. But uh, in this case, uh, uh, they actually were able to, to, you know, get some good out of their flood insurance. And I was surprised how many of the condominiums had flood insurance because I hear that uh, across the board, only 17% of Floridians have flood insurance. I was surprised how many of my customers had it. How much uh, ballpark idea? What, what does a condominium owner pay for flood insurance? Oh, I have no idea. Pete, do you know? Mm. Ah, boy, that's a tough one. It, it It's an optional thing on, on most of these policies. And the the agents in the state, if people want to decline it, the agents have to show that they'd offered it so they don't have malpractice per se. And uh, you'd be surprised how many people don't get it because I don't know that it's always – it's a, there is a cost issue, but it has some limited coverages. And then you got to kind of fight with FEMA and the whole area there. And they don't have the level of coverages um, to, to make it to keep it cheap, like in uh, um, like in California with the earthquake add-ons. It's the, the deductibles are a normal times a percent of the loss. So a lot of people who are in those very prone areas, they get like the catastrophic type coverage. You know, people have that if they want to self-insure in the medical for the medical stuff too. So that's kind of an insurance thing. The deductibles are large, but they cover you for catastrophic stuff versus every little thing with a small deductible, then the premiums are going to be much higher. So I think it's just a choice issue. You know, Pete, I've been reading a lot about how um, insurers are getting out of the market in Florida, and maybe I'm 
maybe I'm wrong, but uh, it, it seems to me that it's going to be tougher to get these types of insurance in the future. Is that accurate, do you think, or do you think they'll find a way to insure people regardless? Well, uh, there's some accuracy to that, Joe. Uh, we've had, over the years, there's been some some companies just went belly up, and then there's high, there's a lot of high regulation with the really big companies. I mean, big companies are not going to bail, obviously. I mean, they, that's their business. Um, I think one of, the, one of the concerns is, in the state of Florida, they have kind of like this assigned pool citizens it's called and if if you can't get coverage in other places you go into the citizens group those you know some people that have worked with citizen coverage have some very strong feelings about those are handled what's covered what's not covered the battles to you know to get paid to get the claims in so you know we we have a certain amount of the public adjusters here and um you know there's there's uh i mean there's um, questionable practices in the in the general recovery industry in Florida that stems back to the days of the a- AOB. Joe, you remember we did the AOB shows, and it, they could be very contentious discussions. So what happens with the roofers in particular? And um, you know we have some consumer uh, protection laws here, and there's a constant battle with the attorneys that advertise the public adjusters. You know, who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? You know, that's a subjective choice. But at the end of the day, it's down to buyer beware. And people need to, you know, there's a there's a lot of commercials here locally, particularly by the roofers, but just a variety of people who live in the area who got damaged by the hurricane. And either on the cable or put a lot of radio advertising, they're basically saying, hey, we live here. We got affected. We're going to restore it. We're going to be here after. We were here before they were going to be after. You know, hire us. But if you don't hire us, make sure that you ask questions and qualify who's down here. How are they going to guarantee their work? Do they have a proper insurance? Are they licensed in the state? Right. And uh, check all that out because people will come and go who don't live in the area. The people who live here, you know, but of course, they're just so doggone busy. They can't do all the work. I mean, the same in Rick's profession with the air conditioning. But it's not like you're going to have a bunch of gypsy guys in the air conditioning business who are going to come down here. That's kind of a little tougher. But, uh, you know, it, it's just hard to get good contractors and get the parts. So it's challenging. Well, it seems like a double-edged sword. You've got regulations that regulate who can do mechanical work, who can do mold remediation. I don't know if they include disaster restoration people or not, but um, I'm wondering what type of issues you've seen with people coming in from outside of Florida. Are they getting fined? Are they? Um... Yeah, well, fine is, a, is the easy thing. They just hope they don't go to jail. I mean, after Hurricane Michael, there were people that went to jail for violating their laws. And uh, there was a lot of publicity out there in the industry stuff with companies like Belfort and Serpro, a lot, a lot of people uh, mobilized from other states and uh, just started coming down because there was there'll be a lot of work here for a long time. And they figured they wanted to partner with their branches or their franchises that were already here in the state. But the problem is, if you're not already licensed, particularly in the mold remediation or mold assessment business, and you come down to do things that violate the law, you're in trouble. They'll actually they'll, not only will they go after you to find you, they potentially will put you in jail, and, and that's happened before. Uh, the big case in point is Lee County, where Fort Myers is. It was so hard when the bridge was down, and there's so many condos that on Sanibel Island 
took a long time for the power to come back. There's going to be a lot of mold remediation that needs to be done. And uh, there's only 104 reme licensed remediation contractors in Fairfield in uh, Lee County, which has got several cities, maybe a million plus population, whatever. And uh, others from around the state will come in. You've got to be state licensed, not just in the county. But a lot of these people that came in that thought they could partner under someone else's contract, general contract law, our law is a little different, you know, but there's a lot of similarity between laws in California, the Western states, Texas has different laws, the Carolinas have different laws. And, you know, in Florida, since there's an aging population, like in Arizona, there's very tough laws to try to protect the seniors from people that want to come in, the, the carpet baggers, and, and they, you know, they want to gouge the tin men, you know, who want to sell you something you don't need. They want to use scare tactics, you know, and everything like that. Anyone in the IQ business, certainly most, a lot of the people on this call, I know we will know most of them, they're very well familiar with those kind of tactics. And it's just not good for the industry. So, you know, uh, are you staying down here unless you're, unless you prearrange, you know, you want to come to the area, you got the proper licensing, or if you're going to partner with someone, make sure that you're in compliance with the rules and the laws of the state, because the attorney generals, they've come out. And I, I remember in 217 with Harvey, the Irma, the Maria year, the attorney generals from Texas, they were on the on the on the news saying, if you mess with our citizens and you rip people off, we may not get you now, but you're on the radar. We're going to get you. We're going to come after you. And, and Ron DeSantis has taken a strong position on that, regardless of what you think about the politics. He's done a good job. Not everybody likes the guy, but this is kind of a nonpartisan issue. And he's he's ran a firm hand. And I, and I think it's been good for the citizens of our state. I recall when that law was being discussed and a lot of people were opposed and a lot of other states are looking at what's happened in Florida and whether or not they should put together some of their own state regulations. Are you saying that the regulation is working and that maybe mold regulations are not such a bad thing? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it is a double-edged sword, Joe. But look, the, when we talk about uh, about the licensing, which in Florida, all types of licensing comes under the DPPR, which stands for the Department of Professional Business Regulations. So they regulate the contractors, you know, all kinds of the professional trades, all that. But when we, I always talk about the big three in mold. And the big three is Texas, Louisiana, and Florida. Fifteen plus years ago, they're the ones that they have similar licensing for mold remediators and for mold assessors. I don't want to speak for the other two states where I don't live, but I feel that they are they are similar. And they have probably the most stringent. Of course, these are areas that are humidity centrals. They're, they have you know a lot of issues. They get hit by the hurricanes and the storms. Now, there are other states, like New York has some, some strict rules, uh, Maryland, and there's a couple others. They're different. The rules are different. And... Um, they, they some it's just for assessments and they're the remediators, you know, they, they have different laws and different rules. I mean, look, I most entrepreneurs don't like the government to interfere and we don't want to be overregulated. But sometimes there are some rules and things that it's not a bad idea. I mean, a lot of times the knock is they do it just to get the income. I don't know that I totally agree with that. Uh, maybe that's part of it. I, I think they want to have some control over people that are going in there health implications and, uh, you know, the senior population probably has a little bit, maybe something to do with it. The one thing that uh, a mutual friend of mine and Cliff, oh, hey, their company actually uh, does the um, the afterthoughts. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I remember talking to Sam Bergman years ago 
before it was first on site when it was Rollin. And he, he, I can't, I, I think he has a license in 39 states. That was his job for them to do the national work. And I specifically remember him talking about in Florida, not only do you have to look at the state laws, there are county laws and sometimes the jurisdictional laws. And I think in California and some other states, that's probably true. So wherever you're going to do your work, make sure that you go down to, you know, federal, state, the local laws, and that you're in compliance with those laws. You got to do a little due diligence. We've got to stop and break for halftime. When I get back, I want to talk to Rick a little bit more about, but first of all, the mechanical contractor side, do they have similar regulations? Does it seem to be working? And then I want to get into a little more on indoor environments and indoor environmental quality and HVAC. But before we do, let's stop and thank our sponsors of the reason we can continue doing the show. Our marquee sponsor is First On Site, your trusted full-service disaster recovery and property restoration company at firstonsite.com. Association sponsors are ACGIH, Advancing Careers of Professionals in Environmental Health, Industrial Hygiene, and Safety, Interested in Defining Their Science, ACGIH.org, AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, A Healthier World, AIHA.org, The Cleaning Industry Research Institute, See More Deeply Through Science and Research, CIRI science.org the iicrc a nonprofit standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry iicrc.org industry sponsors are aeml laboratories free shipping great pricing same day results with no rush fee aemlinc.com particles plus Feature-rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation. Count on us. Particlesplus.com. TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations. TSI.com. Sunbelt Rentals. Availability, reliability, and ease for all your IAQ and restoration needs at sunbeltrentals.com April Air Healthy Air Healthy Home April A-I-R-E.com. and Healthy Indoors Magazine a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers healthyindoors.com All right we're back with Rick Sims and Pete Consigli Rick let's let's talk a little bit about the HVAC mechanical contractor side on licensing um I assume you have to be licensed to do mechanical work in Florida. Um, how is that working? Uh, well, you can go to the newspaper in Sarasota and you'll see four guys in orange jumpsuits for trying to contract air conditioning work during a disaster. Now, they wouldn't normally be in jumpsuits, but when you do it after a hurricane, it's a felony. So right now is a really bad time to do something unlicensed because mm-hmm. it's, it's a whole other level uh, of, of punishment if, uh, if you do it after a disaster. So you can read stories about that. And they, they were all over it. Uh, you know, the, there's a lot of D, it's DBPR is the uh, enforcement body, the Department of Business and Professional Regulation. Rick Scott consolidated 
them along with the building code side of it. So it's uh, it's all under that tent now where it used to have more different departments. They're all under DBPR now. Uh, mechanical contractors are very used to uh, compliance with codes as opposed to a lot of the other trades. We, uh, we pull more permits in Collier County to replace air conditioners uh, than any other type of permit. We mm-hmm. all, 65% of all permits pulled from Collier County are for replacement air conditioners. That's not just because we do a lot of air conditioners, it's because we're very compliant. Now, if you go to California, they're not nearly as compliant. So they have the toughest codes, but they're not nearly as compliant as we are. You know, Rick, I'm curious, do your customers ask you much about indoor environmental quality and how their mechanical system may or may not affect their indoor environment? The expectation has completely changed. We, I've been doing this long enough that all the buildings, when I started, were owned by the World War II generation. Well, um, they had different expectations than the baby boomers who own the building now. So everybody's expectations for what mechanical systems provide and uh, don't cause have been raised. A lot more was tolerated in all the buildings when you still had environmental tobacco smoke in the buildings. There was all kinds of, of things that in past generations masked over things that today we don't mask over anymore. We, we study it. We, we filter it. We, we uh, uh, do mechanical ventilation. We do all kinds of things that uh, were ignored when I came into the trade. I know one of the areas of indoor air that, that you've kind of focused on is moisture control and uh, moisture control. In, and especially with the climate that you're in there, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how that's changed over the years that it, it seems to me people were more aware and um, more willing to kind of push their mecha- mechanical contractor to fix any moisture problems. Is that accurate? You are much more likely to have a building science discussion with me because you're in court and you're in trouble. So generally, if I get a call from a contractor in Florida, I pretty much have an idea that's where it's headed. Uh, But things do. And to tell you the truth, what I teach them a lot is how to play defense. What Dr. Joe and what the building science crowd, including the, the mold conference over there in Deerfield Beach, A lot of what they teach mechanical contractors, if you're listening, is how to play defense. You know, how to, you have a machine that can lower the dew point of the air. But beyond that, there's a lot of factors that go in before we get to the end result. So most of the contractors, by the time they call me, the number one thing they could have done better was document things that they, they really haven't documented much they they haven't measured dew points i can't imagine that i'm going to be sued for a sweaty duck and i never measured the dew point Uh, we we have dew points in enclosed spaces in climate zone one that are over 80 degrees in other words cabinets that are in the high 70s will sweat that's how moist these so contractors who don't document that don't buy the tools to measure it and and get into the building science side of a little bit then you're you don't have that data when you go in to court. It's too 
late and maybe it's winter time, you would have had to record those conditions during rainy season. So right now, I can't go back and get those readings. I have to wait till June next year before it's going to be that humid again. So that's the number one thing that I think HVAC contractors should do is play defense. Uh, nobody wants you telling them how to build the building. After you go to all of this building science education, you have a better idea about how to do windows, how to do roofs, how to do all kinds of things. Nobody really wants the AC guy to tell them what, he th what they think about that. Uh, but you can play defense with what you learn and make sure that, number one, your mechanical systems aren't causing a problem. And number two, that the building envelope and the other things involved uh, aren't beyond the scope of limitations of the equipment that's there. I think you've also done something that I find many successful people do, Rick, and that's that you have focused a lot on education. Um, education of the trades, education of building owners, education of everyone around you. And that's part of the reason we did this show is we want to talk a little bit about the Andy Osk Building Science Symposium that uh, you've been so instrumental in helping move along. But I'm, I'm wondering, um, are you seeing changes like moving ducks from unconditioned spaces to conditioned spaces? Are those the kind of thing? Are you seeing changes in that respect? Because you know, like you said earlier, you're not building the building, you're putting in the mechanical and they're not asking you when they're building the building, should we do air sealing? Should we keep the ducts in the, you know, in a conditioned area, et cetera. Are you seeing the industry changing in those respects? We saw it change since the first day that Andy introduced us to Joe Stebrick. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's been over 20 years now. And I'm, I imagine you guys would say the same thing, that a lot of those changes go back to that time. Because I didn't see a lot of change before that. Before that, what you saw was ASHRAE struggling over whether or not there could be a standard for indoor tobacco smoke or whether or not we should just say, well, we just can't have it indoors. So that debate, if you remember, took 10 years. Uh, but what we've learned in building science this symposium that Andy's been bringing to Climate Zone One, it was our connection to what the rest of you were witnessing all around the United States. Because I know, you know, you were learning things, people out West were learning things, and uh, we were all kind of, so this symposium was kind of our access point to that movement that you guys, and that's how we met you. You know, most of the, of the, uh, Building science and air quality people, I, uh, many of them I met in Westford. A lot of them that are here in Florida. I didn't meet them in Florida. I met <laughs> them because I first went to the Andios Symposium over 20 years ago, found out some of this information, and it just took off from there. And yes, we, we've changed how we build things. Nobody's building things like they did 20 years ago. What are the most important changes you've seen? Well, I think for the builders, they've finally figured out that the uh, encapsulated uh, spaces above ceilings make sense in climate zone one. And what do you that, mean by that's encapsulated? Because then, then we don't have to use all of Rick's strategies to keep the ducts from sweating. We just simply don't put them in a humid place. And we don't need all these strategies to, to try to keep the duct from sweating. So... Uh, that that's one of the biggest uh, improvements that needed to be made. Uh, the, the other thing that's uh, changed is we have digital controls. 
So with digital controls, we're able to do things with makeup air in particular that we used to have to do. We used to have to stage very large machines of makeup air on the incoming temperature, you know, and it will give it 10 tons until it gets to 85 out. And as soon as it gets to 85, we'll give it 20. And it wasn't very sophisticated and things were going on big and then going off big. Now we're, we're throttling things down variable. Uh, the bad thing about digital controls is when the supply chain stops and you can't get chips, you have those problems. But the automation uh, where we're at now, as opposed to where we were 20 years ago, is phenomenal. Are the builders air sealing better and why? Well, in case you didn't know, Florida uh, did make the blower door test part of a certificate, certificate of occupancy requirement for a single family home. So if you build a single family home in Florida, uh, you will have to have less than seven air changes per hour at 50. Uh, you will have to have, uh, if you have less than 3.5, you'll be required to have mechanical ventilation. Uh, Florida does still allow natural ventilation through window opening uh, in certain situations for single family homes. Okay. Pete, I just want to make sure, is there anything you wanted to add? And Cliff, if you've got any follow-ups, please jump in. Well, one thing, yeah, one thing I'd like to add on the uh, the chat there, one of the listeners uh, posted something that I thought was uh, good. It said, Florida sessions should not be manipulated to exclude or perform a week, uh, you know, clear uh, week protocols to, to write the jobs off, testing, et cetera. But I think that also applies to the remediators is that the remediators, I mean, mold has limited coverages, but it is covered and sometimes it's determined, is it, is it covered under loss or not? And the insurance adjusters sometimes try to downplay that and the, the contractors have to fight with them too, or, or the uh, level of the type of, of uh, water damage, which can determine the different protocols, you know, under the industry standards. So I think that's an issue for both the assessors and the remediators is that, uh, you know, stick to your guns if that's what you believe needs to be done and, uh, you know, be reasonable in, in how you're going to do it. So um, in any case, I, I thought that's kind of an important point. The only other thing I will say, and we may cover this towards the end, I, the last link that I put in there for everyone is the, uh, the Climate Zone 1 link, which I copied and pasted from the website. The first one I entered manually. But if you click on that, that will take you right to the website for the winter, winter break event. It's got all the links in there for the sessions, the speakers, registration, and uh, all of the, uh, uh, the the special room reservation on the block. All all of that, the lower rate for the registration in the room block, because it's tough to get rooms. We've got a very good discounted rate. They're all available to December 31st. So if you're going to do something, particularly if you're flying in out of the area, Fort Myers Southwest Regional Airport, the main airport's about a half hour north on 75. That's where you want to come. And there's a lot of cold, co people on here from a cold country. That's why it's called winter break. You come on down, get some education and do networking, take a little vacation time, right? Part of the trip, if not all the trip off. So uh, anyway, we certainly love to have you uh, check that all out. Anyway, uh, back to you, Mr. Joe. Rick, I want to ask what, first, let's, a lot of our listeners are not familiar with the Andy Oss Building Science Symposium and why it was started. I, I, you mentioned it a little bit, but I want you to kind of focus on that a little more for me. 
what led you to start this? Was it you? Was it a combination of you and Andy? How did this all work out? Oh, I, uh, in the beginning, and Andy's been involved since the very beginning, and, and particularly to, to bring it here. Uh, some, some that have been going for over 22 years will remember Julie Ferguson. Julie Ferguson was uh, Andy's partner in the beginning, bringing it down. Um, she was out of the Tampa area. So there have been a lot of people that have been volunteers over the years. I am a big fan of Joe Stebrick. And uh, the first time that he came down, uh, I walked out of the place with my head just spinning and <laughs> uh, spent the next 10 years sorting out what he had told me. And uh, so anyway, um, I brought people who I thought should hear it over the past 20 years. I brought contractors. I said, no, you got to hear this. And uh, so a lot of us did that. We, we picked out people that were resistant to better sealing and better, uh, better practices and wanted to stick to some old ways that just were proven not to work well. But I remember the very first time jotting down on the, the notepad, Dr. Joe's top 10 lists of stupid things to do in Florida. I think <laughs> I still have it somewhere. And, and that's what this is all about is, is uh, you know, keeping that up and, and making sure our crowd down here is sharp. Uh, so Andy has been uh, religious about putting this on. And now we have some help. We've partnered with the uh, AEML uh, people in Deerfield Beach. Rather than us holding a technical session like this and competing with, with them, uh, they're helping us. We're helping them. Uh, last year, I went to the uh, AEML uh, Mold Conference in Deerfield Beach, Had a, learned a lot, great speakers, enjoyed it. And now this year, uh, we're hosting them over here. So it's become kind of a partnership. We, uh, we cross uh, paths just like we do with indoor air quality, the mold guys, the building science crowd. You know, we all come together on, on these things that we'll be doing at this symposium. And frankly, that this symposium is where I got started meeting the rest of you. You know, that's where it started for me was coming to Andy's symposium. Well, I guess the big draw this year is not only Joe, but you've got some other building science kind of uh, legends all joining together in a panel. Pete, do you want to tell us who's going to be a part of that panel and, and what your what your plans are for trying to, you know, why you yeah. did so I'm gonna I, I'll give you the quick overview, but I, I want Rick to talk about these guys. He, this, this is these are this is the like the the Mount Rushmore version of the four guys that we called. Well, we're gonna call them the Titans, but but they're very modest. And uh, Rick said, "Well, not Titans. They don't want to be Titans. They're pioneers, and they truly are pioneers and trailblazers." So it's Dr. Joe, it's um, uh, uh, Neil Moyer. Which, uh, which uh, I haven't seen Neil since the early summer camp days. He lives here in Florida, but uh, Rick will talk about that. And and Gary Nelson, he's only missed one summer camp in the years. The Twin City boy, he's brilliant. I, I love talking to Gary. And then um, uh, and uh, John Tooley. John Tooley oh, was cool. a feature speaker years ago. I think he's retired. He does a little consulting. We we drug him out to be on the stage. He's the one guy that Joe can't get to. You know, Joe Hill, Joe will give him a little bit of this. 
and he's from South Carolina. He, when Joe introduced him at summer camp years ago, he said he's a national treasure to the building science industry. So they're, they're going to do a panel that we're going to put on the stage. Uh, the, the first day, it's going to be the culmination and highlight. And then we're going to have a big open party as part of your registration hors d'oeuvres, open bar for a couple hours. But at the break, we're going to set it up like the Tonight Show. And the lady who I, I was, when I was doing, uh, telling her we wanted to stage shit up at the hotel, she was a young millennial lady, good, very good. She had to go to YouTube to see what the Tonight Show looked like. <laughs> the John and Carson Tonight Show, not this one now, Ed McMahon. You know, and uh, we're just going to have some fun and they're going to share. And this is a reunion for them and Andy. And uh, anyway, Rick, weigh in on that. Tell them a little bit more about Neil and some of these other guys and why this is so important. A one of a kind event that will never to, to get this. It's not like these guys are going to take this on the road. And we, we're just hoping that the registration to come in, people are busy. We want to fill that room for these guys. They deserved it and they earned it. Rick, any call? Well, why don't we do this? Let's go to the roundup, and that way we can bring Rick in first. And I believe we may have Andy Osk on the line here, and uh, maybe Brittany or Ron from AEML can kick in too. The roundup is brought to you by April Air providing healthy humidity, ventilation, and air purity solutions for new and existing homes. April Air, healthy air, healthy home at aprilaire.com. All right, so Rick, you've got Joe Steebrook. Our our audience is very familiar with Joe. Um, You've got uh, Neil Moyer. I'm not as familiar with and I, I know he's someone that you have a lot of respect for. Please tell us a little more about Neil's background. Well, Neil was uh, John Tooley's co-writer for Mad Air, and that paper is what gave them the notoriety and eventually caused them all to come together. Uh, but he uh, has spent a career in Florida, and that's why he's very dear to us in Florida. Uh, he trained all of us out of FSEC, the Florida Solar Energy Center. So that's uh, most of the most of the good blower door testing people were trained under Neil, and uh, we miss him. He's retired, and uh, he's doing uh, important work uh, with uh, his uh, ministry. Uh, but he's not uh, seen a lot by this crowd very much. He uh, has touched a lot of people in Florida. So he has a bigger following here than nationally. But if you, a lot of you have heard some of the stories that these guys tell of how so many things were discovered by accident, by chance, things happened, things that were funny that happened. Anyway, we've heard bits and pieces of it. This is the first time that, that I've ever seen all four of them together. Uh, so I'm hoping that, uh, that as well as, uh, you know, being educational, that this should be a lot of fun to, uh, to see this reunion. It's authentic, you know, and see, see what they want to say. Before you go to something, Rick, uh, was, is Gary Nelson in the conservatory where are they the pioneers and the original blower door guys? Uh, as far as the United States is concerned, it's kind of like, arguing whether or not it was uh, Elvis was first or uh, Little Richard. You know, it's kind of like that because there's there's a guy in Europe that did a lot, you know, that here in the United States, yeah, it's Gary. 
But see, oh, yeah, that's what I thought. Say that's that, what I thought. And TEC won't say that. But in the United States, yes, it's Gary. Gary's made it all happen. And John Tooley's also very impressive. I've seen him speak a few times um, up at summer camp. He talked about processes and how you have to have detailed and and consistent processes to do things right. I know he's also uh, big into building science of water, um, you know, how much we waste energy on water, things of that nature. So I'm looking forward to it. It should be great. Uh, Cliff, I want to make sure I give you a chance to jump in. Any questions? I'm good, or- Jim. I'm good. All right, John, let's see if we can get Andy Osk on the line. You got me? Yes, sir. Great Hi. to hear you, Andy. I oh, said good time Hi, to bring me in. You're right, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, I just want to give you a chance to follow up on uh, anything. I don't know if you were able to hear most of the interview or not. Yeah. But, uh, tell us a little more. Uh, what, what are your follow-up thoughts? Well, just uh, just a couple of things. Um, the, the the symposium, the seminar that we're talking about, I, I get credit for it, and, 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 and I like it. I like to take credit for things. That's, that's it. <laughs> uh, I... Um, there was a young man named Jerry Wicks that was the co-founder of it. He was, he was Julie Ferguson's boss. And uh, he and I got together. We were stumbling around uh, with this moisture, humidity, building air leakage, duct leakage, uh, kind of looking at each other. We said, you know, we ought to get some people together in Southwest Florida and let's just get together in a room and talk about this. And we'll, we'll put this thing on the calendar and, and schedule a conference room you know, maybe, maybe there's 25 of us that need to know about this. So 75 people showed up. That's where the building science seminar started. Uh, Jerry, uh, unfortunately died very, very young of cancer. We lost him. Julie took over his business. I just wanted to make sure we mentioned Jerry. Um, I appreciate you asking the question, Joe, about uh, where all this started Uh, was um, On one hand, I'm disappointed because, you know, maybe people forgot that I had anything to do with this. A lot of people don't know me. But on the other hand, there can be no greater pleasure than when you try to change something. Like we changed the building air leakage. We, we think we've improved building science. And it's become so common that nobody even remembers where it came from. So I, I, I get a certain satisfaction out of that. That's but, a great point, Andy. Uh, and I think uh, I think you there's a, I'm, I'm sure there's something else I can say, but everybody else has, has really covered it. And uh you know, we're, we're looking, looking, looking forward to seeing everybody. Well, you know, Andy, one of the things I wanted to ask uh, Rick about, but I think maybe you might be the best guy to talk to about this. There's some, there's some uh, pros and cons to more ventilation. Okay, and and next week we've got the ASHRAE 62.1. We've got three of the leaders of that committee on the show, and I know that in Southwest Florida, in particular, you, you know, you've got to be a little cautious about too much ventilation. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that for our listeners. Sure. sure. Um, ventilating with outside air, particularly in a hot, humid climate, is expensive. It requires expensive capital equipment. It requires and consumes expensive energy. So think of like when you buy something, you want to buy at the least possible cost. We want to ventilate with the least amount of air that will do the job. Um, that usually works out to around, uh, by conventional wisdom, around 100 CFM for an average house. I uh, kind of adopt Joe Stebrook's uh, uh, philosophy that maybe that's too much. I, I think we can ventilate it, lay a house with 50 CFM. That's really not my point. I, I, I think we should use less. You need to put a device in the outside air intake that 
calibrates the air. So you're getting just the amount of air you want. If I want 50 CFM, I want to be able to get 50 CFM. If I'm wrong on that and it's 100, 120, just make sure we're getting that. Don't bring in more than you need. My personal opinion is that ventilation is for people. So the only time you need to ventilate is when there's people. If there's no people in the building or no people in the house, shut the ventilation off. And finally, in our climate, it's very important that you dehumidify the outside air. You've got to take the moisture down to the um, to the dew point or of of the of the indoor air. Um, that's around 55. But let me just shift gears slightly um, through the work primarily mainly of Lou Harriman's leadership. I think we now have the the dew point. The maximum dew point of outside air is 60 degrees. So we need to bring the outside air down at least to 60 degrees dew point. Those are the things I have to say about outside air. Excellent. You always, you know, we got a picture of you up here also when you were getting your, I believe this is the IAQA Hall of Fame shot with you and Lou Harriman and John Lapletere <laughs> and, and a few others. Um, it's, it's always great to hear your voice, Andy. Likewise, Joe. I'd like to kind of wrap this it's, up. Go ahead. No, no, that's all. I just are, are you sure there isn't something you and I need to argue about yet from the board? We're off, we're off the IAQ board now, aren't we? There has to be something you and I can go at it about, Joe. Andy, right, we may yeah, not. Thank you. We, we may not always agree on everything, but I love you anyway, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'd like to wrap it up. Maybe we can go to Brittany at AEML Labs. They are now a big part of this uh, event. You kind of switch things from, you know, just the winter break that AEML and Pete had worked on. Now we're working in combination with the Building Science Symposium. Brittany, any uh, any thoughts you could bring to us? Final comments? Sure. We're really happy um, to kind of be joining forces with the Building Science guys uh, this year. Um, I think winter break is a great event. Um, I know we do market to the mold assessors and remediators, but building science was definitely incorporated in our winter break as well. Um, But now we got to bring it to the other coast and kind of build on that as well. So we're really excited and we're happy to kind of be with you guys as well. We appreciate AEML and their sponsorship of Cliff's blog. So those of you that, uh, you know, don't get a copy, make sure you Sign up on the iaqradio.com website, and uh, we'll get you out the show announcement and make sure you get the blog. That comes out every Wednesday, and we'll have a great blog from this week's show on Wednesday. Before we go, Pete, I want to give you and Rick the last word, anything we missed and you'd like to add. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and Cliff will put what I'm about ready to say in the blog. This has really turned into a winter break week. You know, last year, the winter break in Deerfield, Fort Lauderdale area. There were so many external events and networking opportunities that took place and people would tour the lab and there was all kinds of things. This year, it's even expanded upon that. There are going to be a lot of external parties and things in the networking, but um, we're having a a meet and greet uh, uh, on the first day, but uh, we're having a post workshop. But winter break last year, we did a legal and risk management workshop. You know, Rick mentioned that a lot of that information was discussed about the liability. You know, the these HVAC guys learn about building science before you learn it in court. Well, you could say that about the mold, That's right. mold assessors, the remediators. You better learn about this stuff before you're being deposed on it. So we're doing a hurricane workshop that our uh, the, uh, your um, uh, our friend John Isaacson from the DOJO, who refers to Cliff and Joe as the OGs in the podcast world, is um, we're going to do a hurricane workshop, and we have a panel that's just off the charts. 
uh, we have an online option. We're going to have a legal component. Peter Croce is on the call. Is going to call in that week. He can't be there live because he has a, another commitment. He's going to talk about the insurance angle. We got Jeremy Beagle. He's the next president of the IUQA. Matter of fact, if Don Weeks comes down as on here between Lapiter and the J State, you know, we're going to have like a reunion of the IEQA past presidents. Maybe Yakabellis will come down too. And um, anyway, there's just uh, that's going to be uh, be an event. And then, of course, as the IEQA listeners know, Joe Cliff, we're going to do a live wrap-up highlight show with all the lessons learned from that week, not just from the, the Building Science Symposium, but the Hurricane Panel. We've rented a separate room, a boardroom at another little hotel close by in Bonita Springs. And um, quite a few of the speakers and any of the personalities that want, we're going we're gonna to have a, a really great show. So uh, that's January 27th. So all you listeners, you put that date on your calendar. <laughs> if you can't make it to Florida, we'd like you to come. But if you can't, call in for that. And look, I just appreciate the support of everybody. I'm so thrilled at this, uh, this collaboration between AML and uh, and Rick and Andy and their whole group. Uh, it's a natural match. You know, assessors and remediators, they need to be in the same room with the architects, the builders, and the HVAC guys. They need each other, whether they think they do or not. Mm -hmm. They do. It's my personal mission to make them see it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Pete. Rick, before we go, any final thoughts? Yeah, we were going to really be accurate about this partnership that Andy asked. Uh, symposium is formed with AEML. The most important thing we've done is we have shared custody of Pete Consigli. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's main thing that we've. Uh, I feel takes, like I'm a drug dealer. I got two phones yeah, now. He's, we're, he's a mule. <laughs> it takes a village to help Pete, he's man. Going back and forth across <laughs> the Everglades every day. But not only that, Rick calls me on the other phone just to see if I'm in it. And it's a Samsung, and I'm an, an iPhone guy, and I have to figure out how to use that. I go to Verizon to get lessons on the phone. I don't want to go to YouTube to figure it out. But I do have it. I do answer. And, uh, look, I can blame it on a couple of our friends. My buddy Ashley from Australia and Ken Larson, the rain man, years ago they said, Pete, you got to get rid of that flip phone, and you should get an iPhone. I said, why should I get an iPhone? They said, it's idiot proof. And I said, well, there's two ways you can take that. But they're right. It is. Illegal. So <laughs> I love my iPhone. I got an iPad. I'm, I'm, I'm almost a millennial. <laughs> Cliff, let me give you the final final thoughts, final words. Any any follow-ups from you? I'm just looking forward to the event. All right. And I like that idea that they're going to have this. The, the actual event is what, two days, Pete? Uh, yeah, the event's two days. It's a Tuesday, Wednesday, then Thursday, uh, for the workshop and then Friday wrap up people still in town uh, with the podcast and then we're going to probably have a dinner but we're kicking it off uh, Monday night the early registration is in the afternoon on Monday and the vendor set up and a lot of the locals and people are probably coming Tuesday morning but uh, we're going to have a meet and greet at, uh, at a place that Cliff's partner Harry gave called the Boston Beer Garden and we got a whole outside area and we'll have some more dirt sponsored by one of the vendors and it's just gonna, it's going to be a lot of fun and Britt, you're going to be there. Ron's going to be there. Yes. Uh, Rick, I mean, he may have to entertain the pioneers and the, and the big wigs, who, uh, the big sponsors who put the big money in. So him and Ricky, they probably be at the Shula Steakhouse. But I'm going to tell you, Rick, Steve Rick, as soon as that's over, if we're still going, he's going to want to come over to the Boston Beer Garden and be with the boys. You kind of know that. So it's going to be a lot of okay fun. With and I'm so I, happy I'm, that Cliff, 
I'm so happy that Cliff is coming for the whole week. Cliff, it's going to be great. Rusty lives down here. If you can't come to the event, I'm going to invite him to dinner one tonight. I'm going to get all my friends to come. And Joe, if your back's feeling good, you'll be able to get on a plane at the last minute. And, you know, seeing Brittany and Ron and, you know, and, and a lot of the AML people. Yeah, just, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Sounds like fun. All right. Well, um, I just wanted you to mention that one more time, because if you can't make the two-day event in person, that one-day event will be online. And for our audience, that might be a really nice thing uh, to get a chance to check it out online. All right. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to this week's guest. We appreciate Rick Sims and Pete Consigli joining us. Uh, my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick at the controls. John, you got to have faith. Most importantly, our growing audience and our sponsors. We really appreciate you all. And next week, we've got Dr. Brendan Burley, Jennifer Eisenbeck, and Megan McNulty. We're going to talk about ASHRAE 62.1. And uh, we're going to talk a little more about a little more detail about ventilation and indoor air quality. So we look forward to coming back next Friday noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Rio saying thanks for listening.